0: All right, welcome to the first-of-its-kind, world-changing Manufacturers Network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the Manufacturers Network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa.
1: Hey, it's Lisa Ryan, and welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. Our guest today is Pratik Joshi. Prateek is the founder of Pluto Shift and a published author of 13 books on AI. He's been featured on publications such as Forbes, CNBC, TechCrunch, and Bloomberg. And you can also visit his website at PrateekJ.com to learn more about him. So Prateek, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Lisa, for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Tell us a little bit about your background and what got you both interested and involved in AI.
0: Yeah, I grew up in a small town in the southern part of India. Growing up, water was a bit of a luxury, right? What what happened was, you know, just growing up, we didn't have it. So kind of it stuck with me. And as I began my professional career, I and I studied machine learning, AI, kind of a, a natural inclination. But really, when it comes to AI in the physical world, there's a, a big gap. You know, it's not, it's not nearly as ubiquitous as it could be. Like search engines, we all know it. We use it every day. It uses machine learning a lot. But when it comes to the physical world, there's, there's a big gap. And so that was the core motivation behind, behind doing this is, is to bring AI to the physical world. And it started with, with water, meaning any physical infrastructure that touches water, it gathers a lot of data. And then how can we use a tool like AI to solve a very important problem like water, right? How can we use it efficiently? How can we distribute it? How can we make sure it's not wasted? So that's how, that's how it all started.
1: Wow, that's so interesting. So what are some of the applications of water that AI would be used for it's something that I would have never even thought
0: of. Yeah, no, it's a very interesting topic. up, uh, so, a simple example, right? So here in America, as the you know, people, like average uh, consumers, we we get our water through a network of pipes, and a very important part within that that setup is cl- the cleaning process. Meaning, you get raw water from somewhere, and there are these very big treatment facilities that convert raw water into into water that we can consume. And and this is actually a very energy intensive process, meaning you need to use a lot of electricity and chemicals to make sure water is clean. And if you're not careful, then the water can leak, you can waste electricity, which is again, a very big problem. So a simple application is, collect data such as pressure, temperature, flow rates, and then use a tool like AI to make sure you are not wasting water. You're not letting it leak somewhere. You're not wasting electricity to treat water. So it's just one application of how you can kind of use AI in a very practical way. There are a hundred other use cases as well.
1: Wow. So when it comes to manufacturing, because of course water plays, can play a big role with a lot of manufacturing plants. But as far as really taking this into the manufacturing sector, how do you make AI practical for manufacturers?
0: Yeah, we when we look at a manufacturer, a simple example would be a company that produces food or, or beverage. What they have to do is part of the process is they have to get raw material. Like let's say you're making you're making ketchup and you gotta get your raw material in and then you need resources such as electricity and chemicals, water, basically that goes into it. And so raw material plus resources goes into the facility and then you know, the ketchup comes out. Now, this can be, if you look at a manufacturing operation, this can be broken down into a number of, of steps. And each step, can kind of it, 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 it has a certain level of efficiency, meaning how much are you consuming to produce a unit of output? Now, without like if you don't use any any technology uh, a human would have to do it meaning imagine a facility where you have 300 membranes like that's a it's a filter and right? what you know stuff is flowing through and you got to make sure it's all functional as a as a human you can't keep an eye on such large infrastructure just by kind of running around right so the goal is how do we sure that if let's say membrane number 49 is acting up, how will you know, right? It's a simple example of how you can, if let's say the the pressure is going way up or it's going way down, you need to know. uh, in, In the COVID world, you'll be sitting inside your office. You won't even know what's happening. So that's where a technology like remote monitoring can be very useful. A tool can automatically detect, okay, membrane number 49 is acting up. You need to do something about it. So what this does is really is it makes sure that product, physical product, they get produced on a very regular basis and you don't need to employ, you don't need to kind of run around to make sure the system is working perfectly. So this is one example is production. Uh, supply chain is another very big area of a whole bunch of use cases. But yeah, I think operation specific use cases uh, can be deployed very efficiently here.
1: So let's go back all the way to artificial intelligence 101. Because since you've written 13 books on it, obviously you're the experts. I can ask you questions like this. But take us way back, like what exactly is artificial intelligence and what does it do? How does it
0: work? Artificial intelligence is it's a state, right? It's a goal, meaning you can you can build a system. We can build an AI system that is intelligent enough to take actions on its own. Now, that's why. So, AI is, is a state of being. Now, machine learning is a vehicle to achieve that goal, right? And and data is the fuel for that vehicle. So that's how we relate these terms like AI and machine learning and data. That's how they fit in together. And so when we, we use the umbrella term artificial intelligence to describe any system, hardware or software or a combo that can do things on its own. You know, we use it, actually we use it every day. The simplest form of of intelligence is like a calculator, right? It's very simple, but we don't think of it as AI, but technically it is doing a little something, right? You add two very big numbers, it shows you the result. More complex AI systems can drive cars on their own. They can, when you're flying in the air, they can detect danger. it, it ranges how much intelligence we can put in a system, but but that's how we look at AI. And today where we are is we have seen very successful implementations of AI in the form of like automation. Meaning if you're in a factory, sometimes it's very dangerous for a human to approach a hot furnace. So there's a machine that does a specific task of taking this and putting it there, and it does it on its own. So it's a simple example of how AI manifests itself in the real world.
1: And so AI then would be a part of machine learning because if, I, if I'm if i hearing you correctly, machine learning is the machine is doing something and over time it learns from itself and it gets
0: better? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So machine learning is, uh, so yeah, machine as more data comes in, the machine learns how to behave in, in a variety of scenarios. And then obviously, as it learns more and more, it approaches true AI. Obviously you'll never fully, well, the goal is as of today, we are not fully there yet. So we don't have like an AI system that's indistinguishable from humans. We are not there yet, but systems are becoming more intelligent and machine learning is basically all the algorithms. The umbrella term is you know machine learning is, is, is that, all the algorithms and tools and frameworks that you use to make a, a system intelligent.
1: So what are some of the ways that you would deploy some of these AI technologies in the world of like a physical infrastructure?
0: A good way to look at it is we work backwards from uh, the use case, right? And uh, let's say, uh, I'll take a simple example. Let's say the goal is to reduce energy consumption. Let's say you are a, a food processing company and you wanna reduce the energy you consume per unit of output produced. So that's a that's a problem. Once you've identified that that goal, then you work backwards to, to figure out okay, what tool or uh, or what system should I use to to attack this problem? Because AI is it's pretty vast. There's no there's no universal single model that can solve everything. So working backwards on problem, and then you you do that, and then once you define that, you also Make an assessment of okay what data do we have available meaning we want to reduce energy consumption but do we even know what's you know how how much we consume today like do we know the the initial primary levers that make the energy consumption go up and down like are we even collecting temperature data right so these are basic questions so once and then you know okay we have some pressure temperature data we know what we want to do then you build a, a tool it could be software it could be hardware it could be both and then Together, the whole thing it achieves, it starts driving that. Today you consume X. Maybe three months from now you'll you'll consume you know 0.8 of that, meaning 80 uh, percent of that, and then eventually 50. And then the goal is to, uh, in an iterative fashion, drive towards, towards that goal. And uh, that's 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 how AI appears. So over time, it always always improves with, with more data.
1: And so if somebody's thinking about incorporating AI, incorporating machine learning into their plant, what would be some of the ways to drive the behavior change that's needed for that implementation? Because obviously, people are going to be afraid they're going to lose their jobs, or they may not like the robots, or they may be afraid of them, or they have all these misconceptions as far as what AI can do but starting with that conversation and starting to change the employee's behavior so that you do get the buy-in you need?
0: Yeah, we actually, we commissioned a study just to understand this, right? So as as COVID hit uh, in March of 2020, and then a few months later, we just wanted to understand people in the world of manufacturing, could be operations managers, operators, directors, people who are running facilities, we just conducted a survey of, of those professionals just to understand, you know, how do you how do you use it? Because clearly you can't go into the facility every single day and yet you need to know everything that's happening at all times. So what are you doing? So we conducted we conducted that survey and we found out very interesting results. It's not that people, you know, companies they do attempt a lot to, to do digital transformation, meaning if you're doing pen and paper how do you digitize that work so that you don't lose it in a fire or something, right? So the goal is, how do you digitize the operations? And 94% of, of the participants, they said that you know, their the company's primary way of doing it is, is boiling the ocean, meaning somebody comes up with a big initiative, the entire company of 40,000 people, they try to do everything all at once. And in many, many instances, it's, it's just not, a feasible thing to do because you're a very, very big company, you you know, introducing a a drastic change. It never sticks. And that's why boiling the ocean shouldn't be plan A and yet people do this. And within that, 78% of the participants, they said that they were supported by the department heads when they took a, like an op specific approach. What I mean by that is you choose a piece of work could be like, you know, monitoring a membrane or detecting pump failure or basically like a small piece of work. And then you transform that, you digitize that in a a very focused manner in a bite-sized way. And what that does is it creates a a success template, meaning, oh, this facility in Los Angeles or this facility in, in Miami, they did it. And so that template can now be implemented in Chicago and Austin, right, and Seattle. And what that does is this groundswell, it builds up and then that's how you transform a particular piece of work into, and digitize it. So what we call ops-specific digital transformation. So I would say start with a bite-sized approach, create a success template, and then that can be used to actually transform work. So that's, that's what we have seen, it has succeeded, succeeded quite a bit here.
1: Is there a best practice as far as deciding where to start? I mean, are you looking for the most mundane tasks that human effort is kind of being wasted on? Are you looking at the most dangerous tasks? Are you looking for those really detailed tasks that maybe humans miss the mistakes? Is there some kind of best practice that you recommend?
0: Yeah, that's actually a very, very good question because what what happens usually is that initial choice kind of determines the entire approach, meaning people are either completely turned off by it or they become very enthusiastic about it. So the initial choice matters a lot. And what we have seen is pick a workflow that is like a low hanging fruit with high impact, meaning something could be really easy, but if if the company doesn't care, then the initiative will be killed. So the goal is to figure out what is, a low-hanging fruit that can have the highest amount of impact on the business, and uh, that is the great first choice. So you you do you do that, you automate it. When it comes to bringing a new piece of technology, it has to make sense for both the user, meaning it has to be easy to use, and ROI-wise, because the company has to invest capital and they need to see the return. So the sooner you can make that happen, the better it is. So. Because of that, I think this combo de- using, like a simple example would be monitoring as a simple example, or other examples could be if you're scanning receipts by, by hand, right? Digitize that, because nobody wants to sit and do that. People have other work. So the goal is to identify those tasks that nobody's gonna miss and yet it's gonna have a big impact and, and go after them.
1: So with the clients <laughs> that you've worked with and the, the study that you've done in this field, do you have some examples or success stories that you can share of kind of where the company was before and what happened after they started using AI?
0: Yeah. We have a very uh, good example of a company where you know before we started working with them obviously they you know they produce the beverage company they produce a product and what was happening was Uh, water is obviously, as you can imagine, is a very important part of the business, meaning how they source it, how they treat it, how they use it, how they discard it, all of that matters because every incremental benefit, basically every incremental piece of efficiency is gonna translate to the old dollars because it's a very big company. So because of that, within their operation, water treatment was a very big part of it. So we started working with them on that. And uh, what happened was over the, over the course of a year, we ended up saving more than fifteen million gallons of water. That's just at one site, and you know if, you can just imagine fifteen million gallons can feed a family for for years. It's it's, it's, a, it's a lot of water, right? And so, at industrial scale, it's uh, obviously the produce a lot. So the goal is identifying these these high impact areas where. Before before us, they're doing this. After using a product, they started uh, doing that, and then they ended up saving the, this water. And now, what that also does is, in, in addition to the ROI benefit, there is a, a positive impact on their ESG metrics, carbon footprint, right? So that is another very key benefit that you can achieve by by solving problems in energy, water, chemicals. It can have a big impact on your uh, ESG footprint.
1: And are there particular types of uh, industries that uh, you've mentioned beverage a couple times and you've mentioned yeah. your connection with water? What are some of the other big industries that you've seen that have really successfully taking off, taken off with this?
0: Yeah, the, the trend we've seen is any industry where the energy consumption is high, That, that those industries are really kind of... they. They're very active. They actively pursue new technologies because it's a very expensive resource and it has a big impact on carbon footprint. So uh, I would say water, beverage, food processing, chemical manufacturing, uh, data centers, uh, and then CPG. So any these these industries, we've seen a lot of activity in these industries. Uh, obviously, food and beverage has been very active. So I would say that's one of the most active verticals. But yeah, all these industries have been uh, very actively pursuing new technologies here.
1: Any other ideas or tips or anything? If, if somebody's starting to think about this, some resources maybe they could turn to, you know, what would be the best way for somebody to even start exploring the topic?
0: I think a lot of the, lot of the resources are available online. Obviously on, on our website, com, we have a number of uh, White papers and case studies that we've just published, mostly talking about how to think about it. But in addition to that, I think uh, a lot of the publications, depending on the industry you're in, like Smart Water Magazine publishes water-related technologies, food and beverage they have uh, something similar. Chemical industry has something similar. But but I think at the end of the day, uh, the goal is to, to kind of try things out, create a framework where you can quickly try things without disrupting the business and see exactly what works for you. And, and, and for that, I think uh, the, what you need to look at is simple things like what can we automate, right? That's a very easy easy starting point because there's there's always something we can automate. There's something as simple as scheduling. We automate that, right? So it makes our life easy. So within, within manufacturing, you can just look at, you know, can you automate the work of, monitoring your memory. Can you automate the work of ticketing, right? Uh, what happens after ticketing? What happens before ticketing? What happens when you do save energy? How does that get report? So basically kind of figuring out what can be automated is step one. And then after that, uh, working with a, with a partner who can do a small well-defined pilot and, uh, and, and go from there. So I think it's, uh, that's a good way to get started here.
1: And is there a way to test that it's working? Is this, is this something that once you make a commitment to AI, you're all in or not? Or is there a way to test it, see if it works, and then decide, yes, I'm going to stay with this, or no, I'm going back to the old way?
0: Oh hundred percent. I think testing matters a lot, and that's exactly how we should think about it. So uh, as, a, as a new technology, uh, the goal is, let's say you're a, a director of operations. The goal is can, you gotta create a, a, a framework where if you wanna test out, uh, so let's say you saw a new AI you know, cloud tool that can reduce chemical consumption, right? So the goal is how can we quickly test it out? So it usually takes about 90 days, uh, no matter what piece of tech it is, within 90 days, you should be able to see the impact, right? Nothing should take like two years, that's too long. I've seen, 90 days has this as a good time metric where you deploy it, you use it honestly for 90 days, and then you measure before it was a after. Meaning you have to be diligent about what was the status quo before you started doing it, so that you can actually measure the impact, and then then you can do it. And again, it's not a one and done thing. It's like AI is almost it's becoming as ubiquitous as you know cloud or or internet. It's 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 already here. The goal is just to kind of make it work for you it's all yeah it's 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 ubiquitous many almost all of us use it every day in some shape or form it's just the goal is to figure out how to make it work for you
1: and what about tying it in with your existing um, systems you think that there are some manufacturers that have equipment that is decades old and they're trying to incorporate some new equipment or is it better if you're just starting fresh i mean how difficult is it to tie in all the different systems that you're going to find in a manufacturing plant
0: yeah that's a very legitimate concern but when we when we talk to you know our customers potential customers we do we do see that quite a bit because these companies have been around for decades or some companies have been around for more than 100 years so they have a long history of, of decisions and obviously associated hardware. So the goal is to make sure that they stay up to date on, on so simple things like data collection, right? So if, you're, if they're not collecting data, step one is to get the sensors in place, uh, start collecting the data. But but yeah, I think if you map the journey, some people, there are people on all parts of the spectrum. If you have nothing going on, step one would be talking to a, a hardware company who can deploy sensors and send the data to a database. Once you have that, then you go to the next step of, of data analysis, right? You don't do data analysis without any, any data in place. So I think I think assessing where you are on that spectrum and then choosing the right initiatives, it, it, it matters a lot. And, uh, and I think yeah, many, many companies are successfully moving along the spectrum. They're moving fast and many vendors and companies are showing up with amazing amazing technologies.
1: And then the the last thing that comes to mind is just from a security standpoint, from a cybersecurity standpoint, how are you making sure that all of this is being kept safe, that nobody's able to access that or hack into your system? What are some of the things that you would recommend as far as that goes, or is that not an issue?
0: No, no, it's definitely uh, an issue. So any data, company has to obviously, in addition to your own security, you also have access to your customer's data. So you have to absolutely make sure that mm-hmm. data and your system is secure. And for that, there are a couple of very important applications. Basically, a third-party auditor comes and conducts the audit, and then they certify you. It's just a pretty long process. But uh, SOC 2, type 2, is basically it's one such. It's very stringent. Every data company that you know that has signed big deals Uh, they have it. ISO 27001 is the other one. So basically between these two, they're very uh, stringent, I would say, audits conducted by auditors. And after you pass it, it's fair to say that it's pretty, pretty robust. And on top of that, obviously, you have to have good practices installed inside the company so that as new teammates come in, they're trained, they're trained on cybersecurity, they know what to do, they know what not to do. And yeah, and then you make sure that you have you have those systems running so the audit is is every year it's something that as companies consider working with other companies this kind of tells them okay i can partner up with this company because you know there is an audit in place
1: all right so as we're getting to the end of our time together is there anything that we didn't cover that you think is important for our listeners to know
0: i think we covered a, a lot of good topics one thing I would like to share as we, before we end, I think as people are looking at, at building technologies, working on new initiatives, I think it's it's kind of important to find your core purpose for, for any initiative, for any piece of work, for anything that you're doing. Uh, what it do, What it does really is it kind of, it helps you work from that purpose, meaning the purpose is not to, in this case, for example, the purpose is not trying out AI, that's not, a, that's not a purpose. The purpose is how do we reduce water water wastage? How do we increase energy efficiency? How do we not waste chemicals? How do we make sure that food is not wasted? It's, so basically, I think that core purpose, and then working back from that, you choose the tools that work for you, like find that Zen that works for you. But I think it's very important not to, AI is at the end of the day, it's tool. It's a tool to make, something happen. And uh, I think it applies to career building products or, or life in general. So I think uh, that's something I, I, I follow.
1: Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. Well, Prateek, it has been just a pleasure having you on the show. If people do want to get a hold of you and continue the conversation, what's the best way for them to do that?
0: To, to get in touch with me uh, feel free to email me at uh, pratik at and if you want to learn more about me you can visit pratiquej.com. and uh, yeah I'm happy to continue the conversation.
1: Alright well again thank you so much for being on the show today it's been great thanks Lisa,
0: great chatting with you
1: I'm Lisa Ryan and this is the Manufacturer's Network podcast. We'll see you next time Thanks for listening. Hey, do me a favor. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Also, feel free to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow the network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either go to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow this network, the stronger and deeper community we will have. I appreciate you. Thank you.